So we answered uh, Amanda's question uh, yesterday. What happens to those uh, unbelievers when they die? And um, it's a heavy topic, obviously, but it's an important one for us to talk about. And so, um, but I thought it'd be uh, a natural thing to take this next post to talk about the gospel. Uh, I think it's important for us to spend time talking about the gospel. And of course, we have many times before. We will many times uh, down the road. Um, we're living in a day when there's a lot of distortion uh, in the gospel. But frankly, uh, there has always been sort of a misconception about what the good news really is. Um, if you ask anybody on the street, um, you know, do you think you have a right relationship with God? Do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? Or any of the variations uh, that revolve around the idea of, uh, of the gospel. You know, what happens when I die? Am I right with God? Um, if you ask anybody on the street, generally speaking, uh, the response will be something like, uh, well, I think I'm a pretty good person, you know, or, well, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not an axe murderer. I don't push old ladies down in the street. You know, I'm, I'm generally pretty good. You know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm going to keep working on it. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully when I die, you know, God will look at me and, and say, come in, you know, something like that. There's always some version of that kind of understanding of, of being right with God. But it's important to know that that's not what the gospel is. Uh, the gospel is not how good you do or how, how good I do or how good we think we are because one of the fundamental problems with that is that we all, by and large, tend to think we're good enough or we'll, we can sort of tweak our lives enough to get us there in the final moments if we need to. We all have this sort of scale of my good deeds and bad deeds uh, at the pearly gates kind of a thing. Um, but that's really not the gospel at all. It, it doesn't address the actual condition that mankind is in. Uh, the Bible, on the other hand, does speak about this very clearly. You think about somebody like Isaiah, who was hugely used of God, largest book next to the book of Psalms in the entire Bible. And it's Isaiah who, toward the end of his uh, writing, says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And, uh, you know, he says our, in other words, he includes himself in this, someone who is uh, a man who, again, was used greatly by God, but yet nonetheless understands that the best that he has to offer is really nothing that you'd ever want to present. It doesn't stack up. Uh, the idea of the filthy rags is actually a pretty disgusting picture when you look into it. Um, you think about what's... Uh, uh, what, what Paul would say many years later in the New Testament, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul would even say of his own resume, you know, uh, Hebrew uh, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, Pharisee of the Pharisees, you know, just uh, according to the, you know, the uh, righteousness of the law, seemingly perfect, all this kind of thing. But yet all these things I count as loss compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Um the Bible tells us that we are nowhere near good enough to be right with God on our own merits. But it's not just that. It's as if that weren't bad enough. The Bible actually goes further and points out that it's not just what we do that keeps us from being right with God. It's actually what we are. Um, Paul would talk about in places like Romans 5, the idea that as, as man, we're all born under under the curse of Adam, we're all under his, uh, in his lineage, under his headship. We carry the sin nature that Adam 
uh, took on when he when he rebelled against God, when Adam and Eve fell. We all have that. We're all under that. You know, we, we use terms like federal headship and that kind of thing. Um, and, and so therefore, in order to be set free from that, we need to recognize that it's not that we just start behaving better, but we actually need to be changed from the inside out and turned into something different. This is why Paul would speak about things like, um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Second Corinthians 5.17. This is an important concept for us to get our minds around. It's not just what we do. It's actually what we are that is the problem. David would speak of this in the Old Testament in Psalm 51 when he would talk about how in sin he was conceived in his mother's womb. Meaning that literally from the point of conception, from the point that he came into existence, uh, he was born in sin. Uh, there is a major problem uh, when we realize that that's our actual beginning. No longer is it just simply our behavior seen as the cause for our problem, but rather our problem is the cause for our bad behavior. And it's important that we recognize fundamentally that truth is that you and I are sinners by nature. We're not good and we become bad. We are starting off as sinners and therefore our behavior reflects what we are. Well, that's a predicament that is that is impossible to overcome in the flesh. The flesh is the problem. I think, what is it, Einstein said, uh, you can't use the same kind of thinking that got you into the problem. Well, in sort of a loose, connected sort of way, we can't use the flesh to overcome the flesh. It's impossible. Uh, and so we need help from the outside. And this is where the gospel really becomes good news. <clears throat> because let's face it, if the gospel was based on our behavior, it could never be good news because we could never be good enough. And again, it wouldn't even address the ultimate fundamental problem within us. And that is that our nature is inherently sinful. We are other than God. We are not like him, not only in, in type and class, if you will, but in, in terms of just even our nature. We don't have it within us to be good in and of ourselves. Uh, God is good all the time in every circumstance and every decision. He is good. He is the fountain of good. He is where good comes from and is defined. Uh, everything he does is good and right and pure and just. We are completely other than that, not just because of what we do, but once again, because of what we are. And so therefore, we need help from the outside. This is where I think the gospel uh, is so beautifully summed up in, again, Paul's words in, in, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul says that he made him, the Father made the Son, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is a transaction that takes place that is entirely by the work of God. Uh, matter of fact, Paul says this earlier in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, where he says this is all of God. Uh, in other words, this is all his doing. But it is he who ultimately, uh, in Christ, took our sin off of us and exchanged it for Christ's righteousness. He who knew no sin, Jesus, took on our sin, became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is not a matter of what we've done. It is a matter of what it was given to us. It's as if this garment of filthy rags was taken off of us that Isaiah spoke about and was replaced with the righteousness of Christ. It's like as if his garment was then put on us. And now the Father sees us through Christ's righteousness. Again, this is the gift of God. This is why John would write in John 3.16, the verse that everybody knows. 
that God so loved the world. In other words, he loved the world in this way. In this way, he demonstrates his love, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, anyone of any stature and class and background, heritage, ethnicity, circumstance, whatever, whosoever uh, would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the gift of God. As Paul would say in Ephesians 2, um, we are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Uh, it is not, it's the gift of God, not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, again, Galatians 2.21 to carry that thought. If righteousness came by the law, in other words, through our acts of righteousness, through our behavior, then Christ died needlessly. He came and died on the cross for nothing. But in fact, the cross is the expression of the gospel manifested in the actions of Christ. This is the good news. What is it? Well, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that I, I remind you, brethren, of the gospel, that Christ died and was buried according to the scriptures and that he rose again according to the scriptures. Uh, that Jesus came, that he died, and that he rose again. He cru was crucified on the cross for your sin and for mine. He paid the debt and in doing so, he paid it completely. Not only that, but he was buried and then he rose again. Why? Because as one who was completely sinless, both as God and as man who lived a perfect life, uh, sin had no hold on him, death had no grip on him. Uh, and therefore he is worthy of and capable of the one thing that no one else ever in the history of mankind possibly could, to live a perfect life as God and take our sin upon his shoulders. It is entirely of his doing. And so therefore, the gospel has to be understood not as what we can do, but what, what he has done. Matter of fact, even inherent in the final, among the final words that Jesus said, when he said, it is finished, the word there, to die literally speaks of the idea of a debt being paid in full. And this is why Paul would say in Colossians 2, that the handwriting of transgressions that was against us, he took it and nailed it to the cross. It is indeed finished. The gospel is the most liberating message in the world because it does not depend on us for anything. All that is required is that we believe. And Paul would say in Romans 4, 5, that uh, he who, uh, who uh, does not work but yet believes is still justified. In other words, it could not be clear. It's not by our works or our efforts, but rather simply by coming and believing that which has been accomplished by the person of God in Christ, God the Son in Christ Jesus, ultimately paying our debt once and for all. The gospel is beautiful. It is beautiful in that it is entirely of the Lord. Uh, it is beautiful in that it washes the vilest of sinners and makes us clean, as, as white as the driven snow. Matter of fact, but God says this to Isaiah, Isaiah 1, 18. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, yet I will make them white as snow. And so it's important that as we understand uh, both the idea of our sinfulness, our complete destitutness without God, uh, dead in sin, born, literally, laden in iniquity. We are completely other, unable to save ourselves. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, to come and realize that God has done all that is necessary that we be saved, all that it would take for us to be made righteous in his eyes. And on top of that, one day, we physically will see that manifest as well as we're given our glorified bodies. Paul would go on in Romans 7, going into Romans 8, where he would say, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, recognizing even though he loved the Lord and walked with God and served God greatly, 
he still found within himself uh, an inability to live uh, righteously like he knows he should and like he wants to because of this sin nature that we deal with, this flesh that we carry around with us. But one day, the answer to that question, who will deliver me from this body of death, will be answered when in fact we find ourselves given glorified bodies where sin no longer resides and where we uh, that, which, that change which has been wrought inside now actually is manifested outside as well in its entirety and fullness. The gospel is truly, truly glorious, and it is available to all who will believe. Um, this is why we talk about the gospel. We want to make sure that we understand it, we don't forget it, we don't um, add to it, we don't change the grace of God from being the grace of God into some kind of a works-based, performance-based kind of an exercise, but rather instead to humbly fall before the Lord who graciously grants to all who will come uh, that free gift of grace and salvation. So that being said, I thought again, it would be a good thing to, to dovetail the gospel uh, to the message we did or the teaching we did yesterday uh, about what happens to the lost uh, when they die. Um, and again, for the same reason, because uh, the idea of separation from God for all eternity is a frightening, frightful thing to consider. Uh, and for those of us who know Jesus, who no longer have to live in any fear of this, again, John would say in, um, uh, oh gosh, is it John, 1 John 4 or 1 John 5? But he says that uh, perfect love casts out all fear. And that fear that is being spoken of is fear of judgment. That is, uh, that, you know, since Jesus took all that judgment, we no longer have to live in any fear of it. Why? Because it's paid in full. There's nothing left to fear for the believer. But for the unbeliever to, to consistently throughout his days try and work to, to, you know, to be good enough and to go to heaven based on our, our own merits, that is a weight that cannot be borne. And it accomplishes nothing. It bears no fruit toward, uh, toward salvation. But rather instead, we are invited to come and believe. Again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray. And as I do, I'll give an opportunity for anybody who might be watching and listening uh, to receive Christ yourself today, to come and become a follower of Jesus, one who has bought and paid for by the blood of Christ, one who has now received that free gift of God's grace. There's nothing really uh, formulaic about the words I'm going to say. There's nothing... You know, it's not like a formula for getting saved or anything like that, but rather it might be that you're thinking, man, I, I do believe Jesus is God. I do believe that he died for my sin. I do want to receive this gift, but I don't know how to do that. Well, I'm going to pray and invite you to pray with me. Again, not because these words are somehow special and magical, but rather instead, it just is a way to sort of help you put words to that desire uh, to respond to the grace of God. God is the great initiator, and he's reaching out to you that you might come and receive today. And so here we go. I'll pray, and this will be your opportunity. So, Father, I thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you that Jesus took all of our debt upon himself. Uh, I thank you that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that in Christ we are we can become now a new creation where the old things pass away and all things become new. We thank you that this is all of your doing, and it is a demonstration of your grace and your love toward rebels like us. Father, we don't deserve this. We never could. We certainly could never earn it, but we'd never even deserve it. 
But Father, I just thank you that even in spite of the fact and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so we just pray that, Father, you would uh, take hold of the hearts of those today who are ready to come and become followers of Jesus. Uh, any in our hearing or in our viewing today, I just pray that, Father, this would be the moment where finally they stop rebelling and stop running the other way and instead would repent or change their mind and turn back in this direction, facing toward you now and receiving that which you freely give to all who will come, whosoever would believe. If this is you, I invite you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I do confess to you that I am a sinner. I am a rebel and I have chosen to do things my way. And as a result, I have lived a life that does not honor you. But even beyond that, I recognize now that I am a sinner by nature and I need you to make me new in Christ, something I could never do myself. And I need you completely for this and for everything else. So Father, I thank you for your grace and forgiveness. I thank you that Jesus took my sin upon his shoulders and paid for it once and for all. And I believe him and I believe in him. And I thank you for setting me free from the penalty of my sin. I thank you for your grace and love. And I pray that you'd help me by your power and your Holy Spirit to help me walk with you every day until I see you face to face. And then when I see you, I wanna thank you that I won't have to be afraid when I do or ashamed because of your glorious grace. Thank you, Father. I love you and praise you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, there's nothing really super special about those words. It's just that I wanted to give you an opportunity to come before the Lord honestly and openly, something you may never really thought about how you do before. But if you did pray, and truly, you've come now and surrendered yourself over to the Lord, you're His now, having received His grace and goodness, grace and forgiveness that He's, uh, again, as we've said oftentimes today, uh, that He has afforded us through the finished work of Christ. Welcome to the family of God. Let me just encourage you here, by the way, since we're talking about uh, all these things and quoting scripture and, and encouraging you to know the gospel, believe it and live in it. Uh, let me encourage you to find a good Bible teaching church, um, one that holds the word of God in high regard, cover to cover and teaches it to you so that you might know uh, the person of God. You might know more about his ways and, and such and that you'd learn how to walk as a follower of Jesus. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you want to make sure that you read your Bible every day. You don't want to just sort of, um, you know, just sit there and just sort of imagine it'll just become more and more Christian, as it were, uh, just because, but rather instead read your Bible every day, spend time in it. Um, again, be in a good church with other uh, fellow believers who want to grow in their faith alongside of you. And, um, and uh, by all means, learn to pray and to seek the Lord every day. And what that means is to talk to him every day, to tell him about your day, to let him know the things you struggle with and ask him for help, uh, to learn to trust him in all of your circumstances. That can be hard at first, but over time, as you see his faithfulness in action in your life, you learn to trust him more and more and more. Uh, walking with Jesus is the experience of a lifetime. It is the relationship that defines all other things in your life. And so let me invite you to, to delve into this, which you've now entered into. So, but praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Thanks for watching and listening. If you have any questions or thoughts or anything like that, uh, you can always feel free to share those here on our YouTube channel. Or if you uh, uh, want to email me, you can do so at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. 
and uh, if you go to our YouTube channel, you can see all the previous Sundays and videos and stuff we've posted. If you're ever around the area and you want to come by and pay us a visit, we'd love to meet you. And so, but um, but in any case, thanks again for watching and listening. The Lord bless you and keep you, and make His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever. Amen. We'll catch up with you next time.